This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. This week, John Jacob, General Secretary of the Association of Garda Sergeants and Inspectors, said that he was prepared to go to jail as a consequence of industrial action by Gardaí, which is illegal. What would it mean for the country if uniformed Gardaí marched on the Dáil and picketed ministers' homes? And why are Gardaí so angry that they are prepared to defy the law? That's our talking point this morning. And in studio is John Jacob, General Secretary of the AGSI. Nicola Talent is Investigations Editor for the Sunday World. And David Langwarner is Dean of Law at Griffith College and Head of the Irish Innocence Project. And on the line is Gerald Flynn. He's an industrial relations expert with Align Management. Um, Gerald, Flynn, I'll start with you this morning. Um, for those of us outside the public sector, we hear an awful lot about Lansdowne Road and Haddington Road and Croke Park. Can you tell us which is the relevant agreement here to the argument that's currently going on with the Gardaí and what does it say? Good morning, Sarah. The, um, yeah, the Gardaí, uh, like all public servants, have been um, had pay cuts and uh, increment freezes since uh, the Croke Park agreements uh, brought in in 2010 and then reinforced a little bit by the Haddington Road agreement. Uh, The most recent agreement was the Lansdowne Road one uh, last year, which both main Gaza bodies have rejected, and that contained an element of restoration. But uh, really, the Gadi are upset because uh, a key aspect of the Haddington Road Agreement, i.e. the second one, um, was that there would be a significant, a major review of Gaza pay that was supposed to kick off um, back in 2014 and probably be completed by summer of 2014. And in fact, the department officials seem to have delayed it by at least 20 months. And since the beginning of this year, the Gazi have um, refused to continue providing 30 hours extra service a year unpaid, which was uh, an element of the Haddington Road Agreement. Uh, tempers are running high, and Gazi have been uh, putting at about that uh, new recruits are starting on salaries of about 23,000, 24,000 a year. Now, that's one thing that we're actually just trying to pin down here is precisely what do Gardaí get? So a newly trained Gardaí after 32 weeks in Templemore starts at around 23,000. But the issue then is how much extra money do they get? Well, you see, that's, 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 uh, effectively they get 30,000 because they get an unsociable hours uh, allowance and uh, some may qualify then for some other allowances. So, in fact, when comparisons are actually made with uh, nurses and with uh, teachers, um, it looks like uh, their pay isn't out of line at all. And, I mean, people who are newly qualified nurses have four years, usually university, under the belt. Yes. Whereas, as you said, Garda training is um, much more limited. And you're actually paid while you're training, aren't you? You get something like 180 euros a week while you're actually training to be a guard, don't you? Yeah, it's not a king's ransom, uh, but yeah. Uh, but when you consider nurses, that uh, nurses uh, get get some pay while they're training as well. But anybody else going to college is paying fees, and you know they're not getting anything while they're actually in college. Yeah, so well, then, the Gadi at least have regular full time jobs, whereas a lot of young teachers, uh, not 
defending this in any way yeah. are often on uh, very casual hours and some may be laid off for three months in the summer. Uh, it's it's quite undesirable, but I also understand the anger amongst um, Gazi, especially younger Gazi, with increment freezes and also the promised review. Though the review isn't probably going to be the nirvana that people uh, think about when they refer back to the Conroy review back in the 1970s. Why? What was that? Well, that was a major review of Garda pay and it caught up on a lot of uh, poor treatment, I suppose, of Garda uh, in the previous decades. Uh, also, unfortunately, the Department of Justice has a bit of a reputation of having a bit of a dead hand and not being as uh, proactive as it could be. Also, it appears that some of the rosters that were introduced a few years ago haven't worked as well as hoped. And then the Gardaí, the senior management, haven't addressed issues such as the Gardaí inspectorate uh, pointing out uh, before Christmas that um, three or four hundred Gardaí could have been released from kind of clerical administrative roles to more frontline roles and uh, increased use of civilianisation. And civilians generally, in my experience, have not been welcomed into the ranks of the Gardaí. Yeah, and we'll come to that. Um, Colin McCarthy in the Sunday Independent last week was saying after seven years of being a guardy, the basic pay is 42,000. Actual earnings are, are average around 50,000. For an unpromoted guardy at mid-scale, the average gross pay at present is over 60,000, including all allowances and overtime. Does that tally with what you would say is the, is the, are the wages? Uh, well, yes, but I think he may be working on the basis of uh, increments all having been paid. And for some of the younger people, they haven't been paid. And I think Colin McCarthy's argument also is, of course, that uh, relatively a Garda in their mid-30s based in Dublin would be at quite a disadvantage compared to one perhaps based in Castlereagh in uh, Roscommon. Of course, yeah. When they want to uh, get property, buy a house and things like that. Yeah. So, um, like uh, an awful lot of young people, because of the state of the economy and uh, because of high childcare costs and property zooming again, a lot of people are in a bind now, whether they're in the public sector or the private sector, that they can either have a house or have children, but not have both. Right. So, John Jacob... Um, your members are pretty angry, but you're in like the middle management really off the guardie. So you guys are doing okay, really, in terms of pay. I mean, are you are your members being paid gross pay between fifty and sixty thousand per annum? Um, our mid scale and our uh, pay scale would be about forty nine thousand euros, not including allowances. Yeah. Uh, now. Uh, there's a misconception out there regarding allowances. There's a, a belief that all Gardaí receive all of the 50 allowances or thereabouts that were reported in the press. Generally speaking, Gardaí only receive one allowance. So a person on um, the frontline policing would be in receipt of unsocial hours allowance. And that is compensation for them working Saturday nights, Sunday nights, working bank holidays, uh, getting up early in the morning. Um, so that's what the compensation is for uh, but what you must remember is that when you take in all the taxes that people are paying, we're paying approximately 52% in tax. But so, everyone's paying that, John. No, I accept, uh, and I'm not mm. denying that for one minute. But what I'm saying is uh, not everybody is putting themselves in harm's way when they go into work. I asked the question this week, how many people in the Department of Justice wear stab vests to work? 
I asked the question this week, how many people are intimidated on a daily basis, including having the threat of being burnt out of their house by criminals? We played a video during our conference this week, which was picked up on by the media, where um, a, a person in the car who had been arrested threatened to rape the, the, the wife and child of the, of the person who had arrested him. So there is an element of work that goes unseen by the public and there has to be some level of compensation for that. But do you not know that when you're joining up? I mean, 17,000 people applied for the new uh, recruit positions this year. A lot of people want to be a guard. A lot of people wanted to be a guard. I'm not sure that when they come in and they realise the level of contempt they're held, held with by some members of the public and when they realise that guard and management are not supporting them when they need support and when they realise that these wages are, are not now even the minimum wage when you're starting and you have a struggle. Uh, I mean, it's very easy to say I'm on 49,000 euros a year. Uh, but when you're coming in at less than half that, it's very, very difficult to persuade people to stay in the job. So I accept that lots of people want to be guards and I wanted to be a guard and I was lucky enough to be able to stay in the guards, but I'm not sure the people on the current wages will and not sure the people will continue to get the service they're getting if people fail, if the government fail to adequately address the pay issues. What we've recognised from other jurisdictions, um, you know, that if the morale is low, if pay is low, that it opens the door to corruption. We've been very, very lucky as a police organisation that that is not happening in this country. And I think that we should move to prevent that and we should move immediately. But look, David, I'll come to you a second on that. But just, you know, going back to recruits, you know, if you're 18 or 19 and you pick a particular career, you can go to college, you have to pay fees, registration, no guarantee of a job after that. Um, if you look at teachers, as Gerald Flynn was just saying, like they have temporary contracts. They mightn't find out until late in August whether or not they're going to have a job in September. To a lot of people, and which is presumably why 17,000 people applied uh, for the positions this year, a guaranteed job at the end of it, being actually paid while you're in college, a guaranteed pay scale. Yes, it's a dangerous job, but you know that going in. It looks like a sinecure. It's a safe place in a world where the precariat have no security about anything. Yeah, and I suppose, look, at I have the greatest sympathy for teachers. I know lots of teachers mm. who are on these contracts that, that terminate when the school year ends and they have to go on, on social welfare. Uh, I have the greatest sympathy for nurses who are in a similar position to ourselves. I think what you you have to recognise is that, yes, you may well have uh, to look for a job when you go into the private sector and you may well be struggling to get it. But if you do manage to get a good career, the progression opportunities in that are significantly greater than they are in the guards. We're constrained by uh, an order which prohibits the number, which it limits the number of, of, of um, ranks you can have. So we have a ranks order. We know there are only so many avail- available positions at sergeant, inspector, superintendent level. If you go into the private sector, uh, they can create a position for you immediately if you're showing talent or showing skills and they want to promote you and they can compensate you. Those uh, And that happened widely during the good times. People joined the civil service because they recognised they would never become billionaires, but they would have a, a constant income. It's security. It is yeah. security. And we were prepared to forego uh, the, the increases that people could demand or receive in the private sector. Um, 
but I think we need to be compensated appropriately because of that. David, um, that point about how it's important to pay the Gardaí well because there are consequences of low pay. Well, I mean, I think that's uh, fundamentally the case because if you don't pay the Gardaí well, um, they get demoralised. That leads to, uh, I suppose, a level of corruption. But there's no doubt that if you pay people a low amount of money, it doesn't improve their self-esteem, it demoralises them, and the guards do provide a vital social function. And also, I think, a point that was made outside the studio uh, by my friend from the guards here, um, is that, John, that is, is that it's important to invest significant amount of money in the training of the guards at Temple Moore at Inception, which isn't done either. And in terms of resourcing, training and paying properly, all of these things are irrefutable. The strike thing is a bit more complicated. Yeah, now explain that to me. What exactly are well, Gardaí not allowed or allowed to do when it comes to negotiating? Well, there's a decision action. which I looked at this morning of uh, Donald Barrington's called Ohi, A-U-G-H-E-Y rather than H-A-U-G-H-E-Y v Ireland. Uh, and what it said was that Garda representative associations were limited in effect in their trade union collective bargaining rights uh, because of, and, and therefore the government didn't necessarily have to deal with them if they didn't want to, because of the fact that the guards provide a vital social function. They're they're subject to a greater degree of scrutiny by virtue of the social function that they provide. I must say I completely disagree with that decision. I mean, I don't see any argument as to why the guards ultimately don't have a right to strike as anybody else, because although they do provide a social function and one assumes that they would only exercise their right to strike in extreme levels of circumstances, that perhaps we have reached that point. And of course, the European Committee of Social Rights in 2014, uh, and endorsed, I think, and ratified by the Committee of Ministers, um, said that there was nothing uh, wrong with the with the right to strike being accorded to the Guardi. Plus, of course, the right to strike is a constitutional right. But it would, if you litigated that case... I could see the counter-argument all the time. The counter-argument was is that they provide a vital social function, therefore they're subject to different level of restraints to other citizens. But it's not just a social function, it's national security. Yes, I mean, can course, you yeah. imagine how sinister... I, I'm just trying to condense Oh, I know, yeah, yeah. yeah. How sinister it would be if you had uniformed guardy marching on Leinster House uh, whilst on strike demanding more pay. Well, I, I'm, you know, I'm a, a little gal about this. I was supposed to be doing a court case in Greece in April, which has been put back till next January. And the reason the Greek Supreme Court cancelled the case because all the lawyers went on strike in Athens. The lawyers? Yeah, the lawyers went on strike. So the entire court system uh, came to a shuddering halt. Um, I, you know, I mean, it, it is the case that, I mean, you might regulate it, you might say only in exceptional circumstances, but I see nothing morally inappropriate. I see a constitutional argument for a guardian having the right to strike but having said that, there is Barrington's decision in Ohi v Ireland, which I don't agree with. So do you, what would happen then if they did go on strike uh, well, in well, terms I, of law breaking? Well, well, I would imagine, I mean, I think, isn't there an offence of encouraging a, gar, uh, a guard to strike? So I, I, I think uh, Mr. Jacobs here might, might, might be in a certain degree of Indeed. difficulty in this respect. <laughs> uh, and I, I can't but imagine if the threat to go and strike and march on the doll materialise, quite apart from the fact I don't think you can march on the curtilage of the doll <laughs> under the public order principles. But if such a, a thing actually did materialise, I'd imagine there would be some sort of uh, state injunction or, or, or emergency negotiation that took place. Actually, Nicola, I'll put that to you. I mean, what do you think the sight of uniformed Gardaí marching would do to the country? 
Well, I think probably most guards don't want to go on strike, ultimately. Um, and they realise the consequences that would have. And also it's illegal for them to do so. So most of them don't want to be people upholding the law and then breaking it themselves. But I think what's what's going on here is probably, you know, they need some sort of a representation. They have to be able to have some sort of a representation that is going to government and explaining the nitty gritty of these um, hours that they're working, which aren't working. And I think everyone said before they came in these new rosters that they weren't going to work. What's wrong with the rosters? The rosters are so confusing. They are just, you could sit for hours listening to people who are on them and still I find them just so confusing. Um, the rosters are brought in, they're working 10 hour, 10 hour, 12 hour days, 10 hour days, um, which are very, very long. They're getting a rest day, which they're coming off, some of them at seven o'clock in the morning. So they're going home at that stage. Mm. A lot of them who are on criminal investigations are saying that they're being pulled off them um, and because there's no overtime in the middle of a criminal investigation, which is not helpful to anybody. Um, Overtime was slashed and a lot of guards were nearly, some of them doubling their salary for many years on overtime. When it was slashed, I think the problem the guards had as an organisation was that they hadn't gone in like the prison officers had and maybe had a lot of their overtime and that put into their actual pay. Right. They didn't bring up their base level of pay. The prison officers did and they did it at the right time. But the guards didn't seem to do so. Where they accepted that the overtime was because they'd got used to it, it became part of their salary, then it was taken from them and their, their wages just, I mean, collapsed. And you find a lot of them, um, like many industries, are, are married. You know, a lot of, you have a lot of couples who are both guards. So household incomes just just collapsed, you know, and... So what do you... Well, if I just go back to another point, is but was the problem that the pay got out of control and that system of relying on overtime got out of control and therefore it just had to be reformed? So it's hard on those who are in the middle of that transition, but to use that appalling phrase, going forward, it'll mean the ones coming in now will be on a more sustainable level of pay as far as the state is concerned. Well, I don't think the pay did get out of control. I mean, when you look at the base pay line, it never really got out of control at all. But guards were earning a decent salary when they were including their overtime with it. Yeah. But when that was taken, then they had a base pay, which is a difficult one to go into a bank and look for a mortgage on. Um, whereas if they had have put that in, and you have to remember as well going forward that overtime is probably the cheapest form of policing. Um, and it is a very good form of policing because you're putting out an officer who is trained, who is suited and booted and who knows how to do the job. Uh, you're not having to train somebody up to, right. to go out. Overtime is, is, is vital to the force and I think it, it has to be brought back. We're seeing it being brought back a little bit, uh, for example, over the last couple of months with the, the gangland feud, but it's been taken away again. There's been a couple of months of it and it's gone. Uh, John, Nicola used a phrase there, decent pay. What do you consider to be decent pay? Well, we took, uh, as I said at the outset, we took a 6% cut in pay. And then when you bolt on the USC and the pension reductions, uh, we're in the region of 25% cut in pay. So I would, I would start uh, in my negotiations with government and saying, look, let's look at the 6% that you took off us. And let's deal with that firstly. And then we'll deal with the other issues as we go forward. But I think that there's there's a lot of things there that Nicola said. Uh, we weren't given the opportunity, unfortunately, 
to uh, look at annualised hours when the prison service looked at annualised hours and when they changed their pay structure. We would never anticipate that policing service should be reliant on overtime. Uh, but unfortunately, it is because of the nature of the, of policing. You can't necessarily investigate a serious robbery or a murder uh, or a serious assault or a rape simply from within the resources that you have because the resources we currently have are inadequate. So we're providing a fire brigade service at the minute. So if you want to investigate those uh, serious incidents, you have to bring people in on overtime. Yeah, but go back. What is decent pay? Because when I see these figures... 49,000 or 50,000 was about the basic, I think, for a mid-ranking guardie. Now, I'm sorry, but there are so many people in the private sector who would take 50,000 guaranteed and an early retirement and a knowing your pension is coming, a defined benefit pension, as a gift. Because they've had to take huge pay cuts as well, P45s, emigration, everything, and they'll think 6%, you know, you're doing okay. Well, look at, if that's uh, all you got cut. That's you know? no. That's that was what they they took off us, and then they bolted yeah. on the other. So so look at, um, uh, yeah. And I respect that people in the private sector were also hit, and I'd love to see everybody remunerated and their their pay restored. But what I have to say is, the people out there uh, don't recognise the responsibilities that are placed on uh, first line supervisors in the guard organisation. They don't appreciate the level of scrutiny that we're exposed to. We have GSOC. We have the most draconian discipline regulations that you know. Our every action is challenged in the court. A, a guard walks out on the street today and if he t- makes a, a, an arrest, that arrest is subject to, to judicial review. It's subject to examination within the courts. And I've the, noticed this thing too where protesters are filming all these big protests and you can see they're just hoping that a guard will, you know, lose his temper and do something injudicious and they'll have know, it on film. We're examined on social media on an mm. ongoing basis. And what you see on social media are edited versions of what actually happened. You don't see the, the, the intimidation that went on before the, the guard... Provocation. Was was provo- was was forced to take a, a, an action, and yes, there everybody is. But the responsibility that my members have, we've been exposed since uh, the 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 recession started to the Grace Project, a guard response to a changing environment. It wasn't publicised, but that led to changes in our in our work practice. It led to increased producti- productivity. Um, your first speaker there, Jared, spoke about Crow Park 1 and Crow Park 2. We engaged in huge productivity at those points in time. And we're now facing into, tra- into uh, transformation 2015 to 2020, which will again uh, result in significant productivity. And what our people are saying is, with the amount of extra work we're taking on, with the amount of responsibility that we're expected to, to uh, shoulder, um, we, de- we need to be properly compensated. OK, so sorry, I'm just going to ask you one more time and then I really have to take a break. So what pay do you consider to be decent for, say, a mid-ranking guardie whose current base pay is about 50. How much do you think you should be on? Well, if, if we go back to 2008 levels, uh, a guard was in receipt at that stage of in the region of um, 52,000, I think it was. Yeah. And we're saying, let's start there. Um, that's, that's, that's but that our, was the basic. Was that, that before was overtime? But let, yeah, I don't, don't think what people realise. When you cut the basic pay, the allowances that people achieve are all based on basic pay. So there was, not alone did we take a hit, as Nicola said, in relation to overtime, but the allowances that we paid. So the 60,000 that people talk about, that came down dramatically because the Saturday allowance was reduced, the Sunday allowance was reduced, the overtime rate was reduced, the bank holiday allowance rate was reduced. So everything was hit when they knocked our basic pay. 
Right. Okay. I'm still not sure if I have an answer from you on what I the take home pay. Actually, I have to take a quick break, David, and I will come back to you straight after that. David's going to answer that question. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. And welcome back to Talking Point. We're talking about the Guardian and Pay this morning. In studio, Nicola Talent, Investigations Editor for the Sunday World. John Jacob is General Secretary of the Association of Garda Sergeants and Inspectors. And David Langwoner is Dean of Law at Griffith College and Head of the Irish Innocence Project. And on the line now is Claire Daly. Claire you're not necessarily known as being a huge fan of the Gardaí. What do you think of their current anger at the way that they're being treated? Oh, ab- absolutely legitimate and totally justified. I mean, the starting pay that we are expecting our Gardaí to take on the job for is not even the equivalent of the living wage. And, you know, let's remember the living wage is the minimum except minimum accepted, acceptable standard of living for a single person on a full-time wage. And they haven't even got to that level. It's way out of kilter with what uh, starting rates are in the PSNI and in the London metropolitan area, for example. And uh, it's, it's absolutely outrageous. Well, they're starting, I believe, on 23,000 per annum. And then they get about another 6,000 um, in various allowances, which brings them up to nearly 30. I mean, if the average industrial wage is 36,000, it's not that bad. You see, they do and they don't. I mean, to, those figures have been bandied around by the Department of Justice. But the reality is to get that level of allowances, uh, a guard would basically have to have no life whatsoever, work completely outrageous hours, every anti unsociable hour going and everything like that. And I, I think from that sense, uh, they wouldn't really earn that at all, like, you know. And I think the other side, in fairness, which they have pointed out, well, the idea about having workers doing the same job on a different pay scale never works. It's a system that brings about a huge instability. I mean, the Garda organisations would point out that after 19 years, a new Garda now would be still €3,000 lower than somebody who started pre-2009. And that's just simply not on. I mean, obviously this problem is replicated across the public sector, but in reality it means a new guard starting off couldn't have a hope in hell of starting a family, could barely rent a house, not to mind ever imagine buying one. And, uh, yeah, it, it absolutely has to be addressed. Yeah, but, um, well, first of all, on that two-tier thing, is that not a product of the fact that during the boom, public sector wages got absolutely out of control? and that there had to be a resetting. So it is unfortunate for those coming in, but the problem was the ones who got in earlier were just being paid too much. No, I I don't accept that at all. And I think international comparisons would show that in a European basis, we would be very uh, modestly pegged, if you like, by comparison to other European countries and so on. The idea that anybody uh, on a wage now would be expected to start a job, and that is the rate below the living wage in our public service is just completely gone the other direction. I mean, the government, is it's not that much higher than the new minimum wage. And as I say, I think the key peg is it doesn't even meet the idea of the living wage. Uh, and, living and, and no, wage. But the what? living wage is 11.45 an hour. And I think we should point out that Lidl and Aldi are paying their workers that amount. And a new recruit, Garda, is not entitled to the same uh, amount of wages. I mean, that's utterly 
lunatic in this day and age. And then the other issue with the Guardi is morale, that apparently it's very, very low. Now, you know, you've had your run-ins with them and I think the way that you were treated over the drink driving incident back mm. in, what was that, 2013, um, mm. you know, that was pretty shabby. You know, you were mm. arrested, um, mm. uh, you know, they leaked it to the media. Um, you know, do you think there's a fundamental problem in the Guardi that needs to be... Oh, sure, look, we haven't made any secret of the fact that there needs to be a complete overhaul and transparency in the manner which Angarda Siakana uh, do their work. Uh, That's absolutely the case. But they should also be appropriately paid for doing what is a hard job like. And it's just completely unacceptable that anybody would be uh, be forced or uh, expected to have that rate of pay. So, I mean, I think if you want to address morale, I would say that the work that myself and Deputy Mick Wallace did in highlighting the lack of transparency and accountability on Garda Siakana was actually a good thing, ultimately, for Garda morale. But what would be much better would be the idea, obviously, of a decent pay for what is a hard job. OK, Claire Daly, thanks a million for joining us. Um, David, we're just trying to get a handle there before the break on what is decent pay? Well, I mean, uh, there is... Uh in, in international terms, the right to a minimum standard of living and the European Social Covenant and rights of social assistance and social security, which I've been lobbying for and have written various papers that we should have in this country. Um, and they do have them in South Africa. I think all of this has to be put in some degree of context. I mean, the pay increases or normalisation that the Gardaí want have to be read in the light of the fact that the rental market has gone through the roof. Uh, houses are prohibitively expensive. We're not housing people properly. And the point that Claire Daly accurately made about the choice between a family and a home, um, it's been a failure of neoliberalism, which has affected all sorts of sectors of the community. And it's not as if I don't think we have the resources to distribute properly. Uh, and one of the, the fundamental problems with our society, I know I harp on about this, is the concentration of wealth in a narrow band of hands as opposed to the... Uh, adequate redistribution of wealth to people like the Gardaí or, or other sectors of the community like nurses who do a very difficult job. Um, I mean, in defence of the Gardaí, the point you were making, Sarah, uh, someone would, you know, jump, you said, at this type of pay scale. Well, they might not necessarily jump at the difficult job the Gardaí have to do. I mean, you, and you know, yet, I, 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 but 17,000 people applied for those 450 no, no, spaces, fu- so they are jumping at No, but the fundamental it. point is the level of remuneration of decent working class and middle class people in this country is inadequate in relation to a spiralling property market, uh, both rental and real, in relation to gross inequalities in terms of wealth. I, I am not a Marxist. I am a social democrat <laughs> and Fine Gael are not. Uh, and that ha- you have to bite the bullet on that one. But Nicola, on the, on the politics of it, and the point uh, Colin McCarthy was making in an article in the Sunday Independent was that the factors that contributed to the bubble that we had was you had this vicious circle of rising property uh, costs. Then you had, you know, big public sector saying, well, we can't afford to buy a house and those people in the private sector are getting more money than us, so we should get more money. So the public sector pay bills soared. The whole thing exploded, as we know. And now we're starting again. Mm. We're going, oh, well, property prices are high, so we should get more money. Yeah. And it's not fair what people in the public sector do. We're just repeating and, and it. we did wonderfully smart and, things like not nationalise the banks and set up NAMA, which has been a complete travesty <laughs> and a farce. But the point is, the government is rightly saying, well, in some people's view, rightly saying, we can't start this all over again. 
Well, the government is never really going to want to even get into negotiation with the guards about extra pay because in the end of the day, it'll, it'll come off the exchequer. Um, the problem really the guards have is that the top job in the guards is a political one. I mean, John made a, a point there during the week that um, that the commissioner was more into her P, PR or image, was corporate it? Image her corporate image. I agree mine, yeah. with that completely and utterly. Um, the commissioner has not engaged at all with the media and I think has uh, put down through the ranks a, a fear within the guards that that Garda Siakon Act of 2005 is there. Um, a, a, a misrepresented fear that guards are not somehow not allowed even talk to journalists, you know, whether you're talking about the fact of the matter is it's illegal for a guard to pass on, um, you know, secrets of the state. And they but do. But we can talk. I mean, are your sources, Gardy? You know, I I'm have, sure they I are. Have, I have plenty of sources, but I have not been passed on illegal information and uh, which could cause somebody a job. However, people are afraid, guards are afraid to talk to the media because there has been a fear sent down the ranks that somehow this is, you know, an illegal activity. Um, are you talking about, say, during the week when the AGSI conference was on, I saw little vignettes in some of the papers with individual guardi explaining their personal circumstances. Mm. Is that kind of thing looked down upon? That or? would all have to be cleared by... Um, really? Know, oh, yes, that would all have to be cleared. Um, what, what, <clears throat> what, happens, what has happened recently is, and I think... The last time the commissioner tried to be questioned this week, she said she wasn't, you know, she wasn't going to talk to the media. She should be talking to the media. She is a... Why should she be? Because she's a state employee and we have an entitlement to ask her questions and to be given answers because we're representing the public Mm. and there are questions that are needed to be answered. But it's been a very... It is, I would say, I'm 20 years in the business and I would think that relations between, official relations between the media and the guards are at an absolute all-time low. I've never come across anything like it. Uh, it, It's a larger point. I entirely agree with this. Uh, It's a larger point that Nicola's making, though, which is that there's far too much politicisation and all sorts of vectors of our our state. Uh, Judicial appointments, Mm. uh, the Garda Commissioner, the Attorney General... We need independent structures and independent levels of accountability uh, and the guards need to be a separate, though regulated entity. Mm-hmm. And once you politicise things, you can't, a famous phrase of about Margaret Thatcher, you can't serve two masters. If the Garda Commissioner is purporting on the one hand to serve the government, who obviously do not agree with these mm-hmm. efforts to increase pay, then she can't, in all honesty, support her members. And so that leads to the need for independent structures where the Garda Commissioner, who's a high-ranking state official, should be an independent person. And this and is this idea that you have an independent Garda absolutely. authority. Yes, absolutely. Um, John Jacob, going back to that point about speaking to the media, I think it's an interesting point that Nicola has raised. You see, there is a case for telling Gardy that they shouldn't be speaking to the media. And the Claire Daly example was a perfect one where she had been critical of the Gardy. Next thing she's pulled over on what seems like a spurious um, uh, reason, um, brought off to uh, jail to give a urine sample. And before she's even out, it's already been leaked to the media and her picture in the paper and she's embarrassed. And then it turned out that she was never even guilty of drink driving at all. You know, that looks like a kind of spiteful campaign by Gardy against a political critic. 
I think what you have to remember is many people in this country are arrested every night on suspicion of drunk driving and they're not drunk. But the initial investigation on the scene uh, would sus- would lead a guard to form an opinion and that's as a consequence they're entitled to be brought back to the station to, to confirm that they're drunk or not yeah. drunk. And I wouldn't condone anybody leaking information to the public in relation to any person who has been arrested. And we have a long tradition of, of keeping that sort of information but in house. But they do it. The matter is under investigation by GSOC and I would like to see the outcome of their investigation oh, before I would um, before I would make any judgment in relation to it. One point that's come up, which I've, I've spoken at length about, written at length about, uh, which is the need for adequate training as to what investigative techniques are, which begins at Temple Moor, and the need to put resources into training the guards so that they understand how to go about processes of investigation in a neutral dispassionate But way. I think they probably already understand that they uh, well, shouldn't be ringing up journalists well, when they've got yeah, a juicy sure, um, sure, a prisoner in custody. Uh, sure, uh, and... Um, and there's legislation prohibiting them well, from doing that. Happens, and if they're found to be doing uh, it, I, w- you know, I wouldn't condone... Yeah. I wouldn't condone them uh, being sheltered in this Never. association or any other association. And there is legislation that will be brought to bear to prosecute them. And I have to be very careful, and I was very careful in my choice of words over the last week, because the Garda Shia Khan Act prohibits me from encouraging the Gardaí to withdraw their labour. Indeed, if you were to say it this morning that you would support the Garda strike, you would be in breach of Section 59 of the Garda Shia So Shikana. you're already in breach then, No, no, I, I said very, I was very careful in yeah. choosing my words. What I will be doing in June is I will be calling my members together. I'm not advocating strike. I didn't advocate strike during the course of the week. That's what was reported in the media. What I will be doing in June, if there is no movement towards discussion, and what we're asking for is the minister to sit down with us. We have a review, which was rightly pointed out, has been long-fingered for over 20 months, and to to get into the nitty-gritty of that review and that pay element of the review um, and finalise it. Um, and to withdraw uh, while she's doing that, any preconditions. A review is a review is a review. You shouldn't be going into that with preconditions. The Department of Justice have riding orders from the minister. It will, it will be cost neutral. That, you know, if we went into an independent John, review... we still borrowed €3 billion Euros last year. Like, I, I know... Deni- we pl- went into an independent review, mm. and that review was to look at pay conditions and uh, indeed shift payments and to look at the whole area of the r- having appropriate access to the right R- IR mechanisms. The European Social Committee decision has been thrown into this black hole that is the review and nothing done on it. Any pay agreement that would be reached within the uh, Haddington Road review of Angarda Shikana is ring-fenced to the Gardaí because it's under the Haddington Road agreement and people signed up to those conditions. We signed up to the conditions that there would be a review and if we benefit from a review, excellent. But we haven't had an opportunity to even discuss pay. We so haven't discussed so any issues. So the number one thing, you, would you say, that you want is a review to go in and sit down and talk to the minister about a general review. Would that be enough we for have, you? We have um, a commitment in the Haddington Road agreement that mm. there would be a review. At this point in time, the association felt that they were unhappy with the review in its current format because of the delay in it and because of the constraints that have been placed on it by government. Uh, Kieran Mulvey went to, at long lengths during the Haddington Road Agreement to sh- ensure that this would be an independent review. And as soon as the door was closed and we walked out, the... Um, the minister put preconditions on it. So these things have to be withdrawn from the table in order for us uh, to have a fair and independent assessment. Okay, and I'll take a break there. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. 
Welcome back to Talking Point. We're talking about the Gardaí this morning. And in studio with me, Nicola Talent, Investigations Editor for the Sunday World. John Jacob is General Secretary of the Association of Gardaí Sergeants and Inspectors. And David Langwoner is Dean of Law, Griffith College and Head of the Irish Innocence Project. Um, David, you wanted to come back in there on a point yeah, that John I, was just making. Just about the right to strike. By the way, I just want to be clear. I, I, I do not want, now that I know it's an offence, to encourage the guards to go and strike because it <laughs> seems to me that any kind of comment of the media about it might, you know, surely they have that right could allow to the perverse situation that other elements of the Guardi could arrest you on the basis that you were encouraging them to exercise <laughs> the right to strike. So I, I'd rather shy clear of that particular yeah, one. Yeah, But yeah. in relation to the right to strike, it, it is a constitutional right, as I've mentioned before. And John is making the absolute point. The European Committee of Social Rights decide this and then they park it and do nothing about it for years. I mean, we're, I've written a paper recently, it came out in the Village magazine, The Rule of Law, and there, there's, we're derelict in our compliance with international obligations. Uh, European Court of Human Rights, European Committee of Social Rights say this, we don't follow it or we park it or we shelve it and the civil servants work out how to avoid compliance for as long as possible. And of course, if they have said this, it's, of course, an inevitability that the guards will be given some right to strike. By the way, that is not encouraging the guards to go and strike <laughs> in terms of fence. It is merely making the observation they inevitably will be given That is noted. Um, Nicola, I don't want to let the programme go by without mentioning Bob Olson. He's the head of this thing called the Guard Inspectorate. And he's been addressing this point that there are an awful lot of Gardaí, I think over a thousand, who are working at desks. Mm. And that a lot of those jobs could be done by civilians. And he says three to four hundred Gardaí could be put out on the streets next week if they'd agree to it but they're not agreeing to it they like their desks don't they? Well maybe they also would need retraining if they've been sitting at a desk for a long time because out on the streets is a very different job than sitting in an office out on the streets point I'd just like to bring up if we can Yeah, Um, we talk about crime statistics all the time and usually when they come out um, management will shout from the rooftops that crime is down and all the rest of it but I was just reading recently there that the rate of gun homicide in Ireland is nearly six times that of England and Wales, That's which is shocking. Huge, yeah. It's absolutely shocking. Um, more Why than, is that? More than 200 and now at this stage five people have been killed in gun crime in the country in Ireland over the last 10 decades. It's because of gangland crime. It's because of organised crime, which has to be funded to be policed properly. It needs uh, intelligence gathering. It needs surveillance and it needs in your face policing which we've done before in Limerick. And, um, you know, to bring down these organised crime gangs isn't something that happens in a day. And how far do you think the Gardaí and John's members are prepared to go uh, looking for an improvement in paying conditions? Well, I mean... Where do you think this will end up? I think that this should end up at a table talking Mm. because I think that's really where everybody wants it to end up. Mm. And with, you know, a proper representation for the guards being listened to properly by government. So, John, I'll give you the last word on it then. Can you see it ending up at a table in June or can you really honestly see Gardaí marching in uniform on strike? We need to end up at a table and we need to end up at it long before June. I am satisfied that uh, the Gardaí will be marching on the Dáil on the first day. And um, I think that that can be avoided and, and it should be avoided. But I think that um, we are committed to providing an, a, a very good policing service with poor resources, but you can't keep doing that forever. We need this matter to be addressed um, addressed immediately. Okay, I'll give you the last word on that then. Thanks a million, John Jacob, Nicola Talent and David Langwalner. Um, thanks Steve Abreen who produced. Bobby Kerr is up next and thank you for listening. 
Thanks for listening to this News Talk 106 to 108 podcast. To download other programs or for more information, go to newstalk.ie.